Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we will get Super Bowl picks from Chuck Todd and Reginald the Monkey, and then we'll talk to Booger McFarlane to get his thoughts on the game because, you know, he actually won two Super Bowls. (laughs) But first, let's do some commerce. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But I think, you know, there could be a marketing executive who thinks, well, who cares if we're bad? When we get to Virginia, we're going to be on the ascent and we're going to be selling a completely different product to a completely different fan base. Yeah. I'm not endorsing that as, a, as a, an approach, but I can see suits thinking that way. That's fine. Just when you get out there, don't wear a uniform that has the Washington Monument on it. Don't. Unless you have somebody in the logo with binoculars looking at the Washington <laughs> Monument from across the river. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So, I, I thought I would open to I have to I have to set this up. Michael mentioned, the last time we were on the show, Michael mentioned, we were talking about the Grammys, and I said, the Grammys, are they're just not for me anymore. And I completely understand that. Um, they were for me when they weren't for my parents. So I understand that they're not for me anymore. Uh, the types... There are certain types of music that just I don't really listen to. I, I don't. It's not for me. Um, well, it's hard to know now what categories music that you recognize belongs to, and then you start to fe- you try and wonder what year it is because you hear some songs and go, "That was a song from two years ago." It feels like. I mean, if if the Grammys were all classical music, I I would not watch them. It's not that I don't respect classical music. It's not my cup of tea. If it was all hip hop, I wouldn't watch it. It doesn't speak to me. I don't know what, what rap music is. I don't think it's actual music. And this is me. I'm just talking about me. It, it, these things are very, very popular. Country music. It's never, you know, there are some songs that I think are fine, but I don't sit down for that. You know, I'm an old guy and uh, give me, as Bob Seger would say, old time rock and roll. I mean, that's, that's what I like. And nobody really plays that anymore. I don't even air the rock awards anymore. Yeah, that's it. nobody plays it. So I'm rock done. Rock is dead, yeah. I'm done. And, that, and that's okay. But Michael, you had mentioned that there was a duet, right? You, call, you said it was a duet with Tracy Chapman, whose original song, Fast Car, that's her, that's her song, and that's 40 years old. From right? the late 80s. Right, yeah, it's almost, 80, almost 40 years yeah. old, that Huge, song. Big hit. And it was covered this year by a country performer named Luke Combs, and I'm not familiar with his work in the way I'm not familiar with Taylor Swift's work. And so um, you, you said you liked it, and I was um, going back and forth last night with my friend Lowell Singer, who's out in Los Angeles, and he said that was the single best performance of the night. Did you? Did you? I, I loved it, but it was more. There's symbolism to that rendition that I that I thought was really powerful because there had been some criticism over the year in terms of what is the process that an artist has to go through to release a cover of a previously released and recorded song. So I think Luke Combs had to do a very a very by the book rendition of Fast Car, and then there's been some um, some just conversation around what does it mean for a white man to release that song in the country genre and to see it uh, basically be a rocket ship up the charts. And then you have an entire generation who might not know the origins of that song. And then you think about the identity of the unnamed singer in that original version. Uh, when you go well, back to some of the lyrics about, hit, I want to take it to anywhere, any place is better. Uh, and so there then was the trickle down effect where the original song started to chart really well 
you know, in addition to this newer version. In country music, there's been a lot of uh, borrowing of, of songs from the 80s and 90s, which has become more and more prevalent as you try and re-release old hits. So to see them on stage together performing this put a lot of that to bed. And you also have someone in Tracy Chapman who actively wanted to leave the spotlight. I think she hasn't been on tour since 2009 and, and lives a very quiet life. So that felt like a very big coming together moment. And then just to see the adoration in Luke, Luke Combs's eyes as he's looking to her and giving her this lead... And there was a small gesture. Normally when you see him, he wears a hat. He wasn't wearing a hat. And it, it just felt like there was a, a, a very... Respect. A sign of respect on that stage. So, you know, for those of you who, who don't know this, the song Fast Car is not an unknown song. It oh, was no. a huge hit and it was nominated for a thousand Grammys. Yeah. So this is, this is a big... It's like covering the Beatles. You know, I mean, it was a very big song then. So I guess what I want to get to is... I think this is true. On the ESPN Monday Night Game all year, there's some guy who I assume is a country singer, and he's doing that song, thing, you know, something in the air tonight. Isn't that a Phil Collins song or yes. something like that? Or yes. Does he cover some song? That's, I believe you're thinking of Kane Brown. Is that who it is? Yeah. So I always say, who's this guy? And he's doing somebody else's song, and then Snoop Dogg is in it, and somebody else is in it. You go, okay, that's what happens with music. Hmm? That is a tribute to the original artist's when people do their songs. So I sit down to watch this. Lowell Singer sends it to me, and I'm very familiar with the Tracy Chapman version and not at all familiar with the Luke Combs version. And I felt the same way that you felt, that it was an undeniable gesture of respect and that Tracy Chapman, who is, is not someone who's demonstrative on stage, as I recall, it seemed to me she was really having a good time that she appreciated the fact that this guy, totally unlike her, was singing her song and singing it faithfully. And I should tell you that my sense of Fast Car is not that it's a great song. It's that it's a great story that was set to music. It's, it, lyrically, it's brilliant. It, it is about hopes and dreams. It is about being muddled. It is about things not working out. It is about aspirations. And it's just a great piece of writing that becomes a great song. I mean, if you listen to the words and if you listen to the way Tracy Chapman sings it, there's a pathos in it as well as an optimism that's just stirring. So I watched it. I watched it three or four times. I thought it was really swell. I mean, I just really, really liked it. I did not know this backstory about the hat or anything like that. Well, that's I, just that's my interpretation okay. of it. Uh, but I think that's one of the, you're you're capturing what is so powerful about music, where you look at these two individuals universal. on stage, and there's a Different. universal aspect to that story. Uh, but then you still have to remember where some of that, you know, where the original thread begins. Yeah. So I. I love that. And what it reminds me of, and I've said this before, again, the Grammys are no longer for me, but there was a time in my life when I was 20 and 30 and even 40 when the Grammys were for me because people that were singing music, I was familiar with what was popular music at that time. And the greatest Grammy moment I ever had is, is very similar to this last night. Now, what I don't know, I don't know if, if in this particular thing with Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs, is that how it's pronounced, Combs? I believe so. Then I don't know if they came back from a break and they were not introduced and they were simply on stage. 
I don't know that because I didn't see that. I don't have the context of that. But 40 years ago, or maybe 50 years ago, I don't know. The moment for me was the Neil Diamond, Barbara Streisand moment. That the Grammys are on, and they cut away, they go to a commercial, and when they come back, two, from two opposite sides of the stage, walking out with handheld microphones, singing this very soupy song, You Don't Bring Me Flowers. I mean, it was a big hit. I'm not going to defend it as some great work of art. It, it is about longing. It is about the dissolution of a relationship. And they come out from the wings of the stage and they're doing handheld mics and they're singing this song. And even now, it brings chills to me because it was the greatest performance I had ever seen. It was unannounced. It was unexpected. It was a miracle. These two kids from Brooklyn who had gone on to become... Neil Diamond certainly was an icon, and Barbara Streisand is the only the greatest singer ever. So, I mean, you know, it's yeah. like Barbara Streisand is the headline, and, and Neil Diamond, yeah, but and Neil Diamond, <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of like, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, who's a great, a great female singer? If Whitney Houston, if, if Paul McCartney walked out from one side of the stage and Whitney Houston walked out from the other and they sang yesterday, you'd go, oh, my God. But Paul <laughs> McCartney would be the headline. Right. Like Barbara Streisand was the headline. It was the single greatest thing I had ever seen on television. It was live. And the reaction in the audience, and you talked about the reaction in the audience to see Tracy Chapman and, and Combs, the respect that they had, the other artists there stood and applauded and loved it. And that's what happened in the Grammys with Streisand and Neil Diamond. And, and it was like, it's just this moment where you go, that's, that's the power of, of songs, right? I mean, and that's how I felt about it. Yeah, and it, that watched. particular duet was beautifully shot where they kept Tracy Chapman in the in the front of the of the camera and they had luke combs and you could really see the gaze of him and then they'd occasionally pan out and you'd see the rest of the room you'd see the artist standings everyone everyone knows that song for many artists it's a song you can't necessarily place and you hear luke combs how he found it it was just on a cassette tape in his dad's truck and it's just a song that often was playing through your own life as you were you know wondering about these own own sort of ambitions and questions about where you're going to go so i mean that i was really glad to watch that really glad i mean first lowell sent it to me on twitter and i said i can't get twitter and he says all right i'll send it yeah, on something else you're more of a threads guy you know so <laughs> he, you know and and it was again having watched none of the grammys i just thought wow that was that was really nice right isn't that your feeling that's just really yes. satisfying yes because it seems like they respect each other um he clearly respects the song if she didn't want to do it, she wouldn't have gotten on stage. I mean, if they hadn't yeah. had, I don't know if they have issues or or she loved the, the cover from the beginning, but she's not getting on there unless she feels, I want to sing this I've with I've done him. some reading of this because I was trying to figure out what kind of royalties does she get as the, you know, the original songwriter from this. And I think at first it was, sure, go ahead and release it. I mean, it, it doesn't really impact me. And then again, it became this, you know, unbelievable rocket ship almost 30 well, years also, later and and the corollary benefit is it brought her back on stage yes 
And now there are people who will have seen her and say, well, whoa. Yeah, we need what more of that. What else did she do? Yeah. Let me get her stuff. Yeah. And the relationship between them does not appear to be a um, Glenn Fry Don Felder situation. <laughs> no, which did not. <laughs> that was not good. Was not good. <laughs> Glenn Fry was not happy <laughs> with Don Felder. That didn't last much past that no, one concert. No, no, it didn't. All right. So, um, so what do we have? Booger McFarlane when we return. That's and right. Booger McFarlane has been in Super Bowls, and that's what we're going to talk about. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast check out our new nba show beyond the arc part of the cbs sports podcast network where you can find me john gonzalez nba insider bill Ryder, and ashley nicole moss five days a week talking all things nba whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Marty O'Neill. The name of the song is You Ain't Got Me. And he writes, Marty O'Neill from Annapolis. Thanks so much for playing the Queen's Clothes in December. I got a new track that was released today on your favorite streaming services called You Ain't Got Me. It's a blues tune crafted from an original lick by a friend of a friend, Russ Bullock, with subsequent guitar work and production by the brilliant buddy Spears, or Spires, of 38 North Studio in Falls Church, Virginia. My brother Frank, another little from Northeast Pennsylvania, heard the last track, and we both ended up explaining to our siblings why we listened to the same bald orange man and why my music was on the pod. Again, it's called You Ain't Got Me. Michael, if people like Marty O'Neill want to send their original music in, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. You can listen to it in its entirety at the end of the show. And it plays in Booger McFarland, I assume, is going to be on the PTI show today wearing a golf shirt that I will have difficulty identifying. <laughs> but, you know, during Super Bowl week... Everybody talks to football players on every show imaginable. You played in two of these things. You won two of these things. I just want to talk about that experience of actually being in this game, being in the week, and then being in the game. Did you think, like when you're there, did you think, 
I'm going to win a Super Bowl. I know it. I'm going to win it. So that's a very interesting question, Tony, because like I, even though uh, I, I've won two Super Bowls, I got a chance to experience it two different ways. So let's go back to the first one. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what do you got, remember from the first and then from the second? Go ahead. R- right. So, so the first one, I actually I, I got hurt uh, on our playoff run, and I didn't actually get an opportunity to play in the game because uh, my foot was broken. However, I was one of the few people that John allowed to travel with the team and uh, be on the sideline because sometimes injured players have to be in the stands, all that good stuff. But John let me kind of just be right there. I stood next to him pretty much all game. And so to observe the game on the field while not playing and see all the, the pomp and circumstance that goes on and then to watch Sapp and Brooks and John Lynch, guys that came in there and set the foundation for our team to, to see them fulfill um, the, the championship was unreal. I still remember Derrick Brooks makes an interception. He's returning the ball for a touchdown down our sideline. And he goes in the end zone, and when he turns around, Tony's crying. And here's a guy who's made all pro, pro bowls, defensive player of the year. And that one day, that one moment brought about so much emotion. He's crying. And and he gets to the sideline, and we're all overjoyed. We're all uh, in our fields. And and it's an amazing moment. And so I got a chance to see Super Bowl 37 from that vantage point. Super Bowl 41, I'm on the field in warm-ups. I got my uniform on. We're down in Miami, and it's drizzling, raining all game long. It's the only Super Bowl that that it's ever rained in. And – the nervous energy that I had was unreal. And to your question, did I think I was going to win the Super Bowl? I think I thought we were going to win the Super Bowl, Tony, after the first offensive drive from the Chicago Bears. If you remember, the first play of the game was a kickoff, and Tony Dungy decided for some reason to kick the ball off to Devin Hester. He returns it for a touchdown, and next thing you know, we're down. And so I'm sitting there to myself saying, okay, this is not good. And then our offense starts to move the football, and we get the opportunity as a defense to go on the field. And when the Bears' offense and Rex Grossman broke the huddle and they ran one or two plays, I knew right then, based on those two plays, they couldn't score on us. And that's a feeling of uh, confidence. And I think for me, understanding how much football I had played in Tampa and now in Indy, and we're on the field, and it's like the middle of the first quarter – I just kept telling my guys, hey, everybody do your job. They can't move the football. And this no disrespect to the Bears, but Rex Grossman wasn't going to beat us that night. Right. And it was, it was raining. You couldn't really throw the football a ton. So they had to run the football in order to beat us. And I knew based on some of the matchups that I had with Olin Cruz, who was their center, and based on our defense, they couldn't run the football. So the confidence of winning the Super Bowl, in my mind, happened against the Bears midway through the first quarter. The confidence of winning Super Bowl 37 happened actually before the game because John Gruden used to be the coach of the Raiders. We knew every play that Rich Gannon was going to run that day. And it was amazing, Tony, that they had no idea to change anything. I remember standing next to Gruden. Rich Gannon breaks the huddle, and he comes to the line, and he makes a check, and he says, 93 Wheezy, 93 Wheezy. Well, what 93 Wheezy was, was 93 Week Easy. They just put the two words together and called it Wheezy. Well, the uh, nine was a, 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 a number signaling the tailback, and three was going to the left side. If you think about it really simple, 
Odd numbers go left, even right. numbers go right. So 93 Weezy was a run to the left, and Tony, he snapped the ball and they ran it left, and I said, oh, my God, they didn't change a thing. And at that moment, I knew the Raiders couldn't beat us. It was just a matter of could we score enough points, and uh, we scored three touchdowns on, on, on offense, excuse me, on defense, and if our defense only had played the game, we still would have beaten them because we outscored the offense on defense. So you got two of them, which is wonderful. I guess let me let me go backwards a little bit. What was the week like? Maybe we should concentrate on the Indy Super Bowl where you were going to play. What was the week like as a player with all of the obligations, media obligations and practice time and this, that, and the other thing? Was there anything you couldn't do, anything you wouldn't do? Were you superstitious about creating the same routine that you had through the entire year? Yeah, because that's what all the people that had been to Super Bowls before had kind of given the advice, and and me having played in played in the one in, uh, or been in the one in Tampa, uh, I had an opportunity to experience it. And so Mr. Ursay actually brought like four or five of us in the office and said, "Hey, you guys tell us what's this week like. What should we do?" And so we kept the same routine, Tony. Like we got to Miami on a Monday. We had uh, it, back then. It wasn't "quote unquote" opening night. It was just kind of a media session of mm-hmm. Monday, Monday afternoon, Monday evening. Uh, Tuesday was the off day, kind of a picture day. We practiced at the Miami Dolphins facility. Everything was routine, all the way down to the point where I actually got my barber from Tampa to drive down, and he cut everybody's hair like on a Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon. Wow. And so everybody who would normally get their haircuts on Thursday and Friday, we did the exact same thing. Now, the only thing that was a little different was we were on NFL Live, a couple of us, so we went down to South Beach and did NFL Live one afternoon. We went out to a nice dinner in Miami. But other than that, it was pretty much business as usual because as a team in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl activities really aren't for you. They're for everyone else. And I think as long as you remember that, not to say that you can't pay attention to some of the pomp and circumstances, but you don't need to be out till 1 or 2 in the morning. Now, some people would say, hey, if that's your normal routine, go ahead and continue doing it. But it's tough to be a professional athlete and be successful, staying out to 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, especially for us. We were living in – we were staying in Fort Lauderdale and not Miami. So, overall, to your, to your question, we just kind of kept our normal routine and, right. and kind of stayed status quo. Um, do you remember media day? Do you remember any questions that you got where you thought, wow, what is that? Did you have that, that experience at all? It's changed so much. So you go back to Super Bowl 41, the questions really hadn't gotten out of control. Now what's happened, Tony, is everybody's trying to one-up everybody and come yes. up with a silly question yes. so they can get on television or so it can go viral on social media. That really changed over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. If you go back to Super Bowl 37, Super Bowl 41, the two that I was in, we really didn't get anything out of the ordinary. You would get some... Uh, maybe there was a lady who dressed up as a, 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 a dressed up in a wedding gown and asked some guys to marry them who were at the podium. Like there was things like that, but nothing really crazy. I feel like that's changed over the last five or ten years, where everybody's trying to one up everybody from a standpoint of what crazy question can I ask? Like somebody asked Brock Purdy, uh, had anybody ever told him that they reminded him of the guy that assassinated Kennedy? I'm like, who in what? Their, who in their right mind? What? What, what literally, Tony? That was one of the questions Brock Purdy got asked. Hey, has anybody ever told you that he looks that, like Lee Harvey Oswald? That you look like Lee Harvey Oswald? Okay, that's. And he said, "No, I never heard that." And I'm like, "Okay, now we're starting to get to a point where that person 
is asking that question so they can, so that little excerpt can be shown That's over right. and over again. That's right. That's all that is. That's right. Um, you, you, I, I'm I'm interested in the fact that in the second Super Bowl, you knew immediately that the Bears could not score on you. During the week, as the week, as you get closer to the game, as you get to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, was there anything that ever worried you in particular? Did you did you find yourself out of your normal routine and anxious because it was a Super Bowl? The only part that gets a little anxious, Tony, is um, the mental aspect of it. So Saturday night, I go to bed, and typically I'm, I'm a pretty good sleeper. I'm not like a log. So Saturday night, we're in Fort Lauderdale. I woke up at 3.30 a.m., and I couldn't go back to sleep because hmm. I knew that the next 24 hours was going to change my life, and also it was going to change Tony Dungy's life because you got to remember and look at the big picture. So Tony Dungy coached me in Tampa. Tony Dungy gets fired. We win the Super Bowl. Everybody said it's Tony's Super Bowl, even though John Gruden won it. Well, it's really not Tony's Super Bowl because Tony didn't win it. That's right. So now you fast forward four years later, we're in Miami. Tony has an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, and I'm on this team. And, oh, by the way, I get a chance to play in this game. And so all these things are going through my mind. It's 3.30 in the morning. I'm sitting on the patio in Fort Lauderdale, and I'm looking, and I'm like, the next 24 hours are going to change a lot of people's lives. It's going to change a lot of people's legacies. And I couldn't go to sleep. And it was the longest 24 hours, Tony, uh, of my life because I couldn't sleep. Uh, our bus was leaving at like 3 o'clock. I got up and got dressed probably two or three times. I put my suit on. I took it off. I put it on. I took it. Like, I was just a bunch of nervous energy. Yeah. And I wasn't a guy, I wasn't a guy that like, really liked to eat a lot of food. And so I had to force myself to eat just knowing that the closer we got to the game, I wasn't going to be able to. And the most fulfilling and the quietest moment that my mind ever had that day was in pregame warmups, uniform on, it's an hour before kickoff, I'm stretching, and I'm just looking around the stadium. And everything that I had been a part of athletically in my life flashed before my eyes. And just to know that you're going to be a part of something like this, tonight is the night they get an opportunity to pass out rings. There's only, there's only been 58 of these nights so far, Tony. 58 of these nights in the history of National Football League where you get the opportunity to earn a ring. And that night was number 41 in Miami. And so that moment was calming because it's something you look forward to. Like, I never ran from the moment. I wanted to run to the moment. And so to be in that moment and know that moment was coming where we get an opportunity to earn a ring, that was the most peaceful time I had that entire 24 hours. That's lovely to hear. I'll get you out of here on one more question. Who was the first phone call you made to after you won? Wow. Uh, I'm trying to first. You know what? I really didn't call because the people that matter, Tony, were there. They were there? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the first thing I thought about was this, though. Um, so in, 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 2000, in 2005, my mother passed away. And so she, she didn't get an opportunity to see me play in the Super Bowl. And so as Dwight Freeney and I, like, there's a, there's a great picture of Dwight Freeney and I dumping orange Gatorade on Tony Dungy. And we dumped the Gatorade and everybody's going crazy. And, and I just remember as I'm walking to put the Gatorade cooler down, the tears started to roll just yeah. because I missed her. And, and she wasn't there. And so to your point about the first person I call. I didn't call anyone. 
I actually thought about my mother because without her and without the sacrifices that she made for me and my siblings growing up, I wouldn't have been there. And it's an amazing thing that, you know, even now, when I watch guys win awards, when I watch guys win championships, when I watch guys talk about their parents, it's the most genuine feeling ever. Because when you become a parent, there's no love like being a parent. And to think about that love and in retrospect, the love that your parents gave you and realizing that you wouldn't be where you are in life. And that goes for all of us. You wouldn't be where you are in your life without your parents. I just thought about that. And, and so that was the first thought that went through my mind. And, 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 and even today, like I still think about it today. I still think about that moment. Uh, as we get older, my, my, my memory's going or whatever. It's like all of us, uh, all of us, uh, all of our memories are, but I still think about that moment. That's lovely. It's lovely. I'll see you later. Many, many thanks. Anytime, Tony. Look forward Just to great. it. Just great. Just great. We'll take a break. Um, Chuck Todd joins us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Dan Byrne for you. I walk a block behind her at all times. Her scent, it must be said, is the rarest. I linger while she's getting in the carriage. The woman I'm related to by marriage. <laughs> we bonded legally, there is no crime. The mirror screams to her, she is the fairest. Don't ask me why I'm sleeping in the garage. Ask the woman I'm related to by marriage. How did I begin to get so lucky? You ask me how things are. Well, things are ducky. The rookie cubs this year are looking plucky. Thank God for that. Sometimes I hear the church bells, I just stare. Daydream in the direction of the parish. Whatever I might say, don't you disparage the woman I'm related to by marriage. The woman I'm related to by marriage. He's brilliant. Like he's brilliant, Dan really Byrne. He is. He's completely brilliant. Yes. I love the use of the word ducky. I've always liked the word ducky. And Dan Byrne. That's well, just fabulous. It's always fabulous. He plays in Chuck Todd. And this week's picks with Chuck Todd and Reginald the Monkey are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. And this is our dilemma. I was watching ESPN this morning. And ESPN quoted the odds as San Francisco minus one and a half. And mm. FanDuel has the odds as San Francisco minus two and a half. As somebody who bets, that might be significant, right? If you could get a full point difference on two different places, 
It's good, not great, because you're not going through um, a key number. Right. So, for instance, if we were two and a half to three and a half, right, that's a much bigger deal right. than if it were two and a half to one and a half um, on that front. So, it, I think ESPN with their new betting that they're sort of offering sort of unusual lines. Really? At least I. It, it seems like I haven't signed up for it. I, right. I don't know whether they allowed it. Who do you think's to... making the line? Like a guy from Sports Center? You know, like is anybody like I could make the line? Yeah, Stanford Steve is making the lines. No, no, no. I think they're just trying to get people to. I think they're trying to lure people in um, because I've noticed. I feel like ever ever since ESPN aligned with this ESPN bet, I've seen them promote lines. And I'm like, huh, that's not what I've seen, or that's not what I see in FanDuel, or that's not what I see on. Sometimes I use MGM or a couple of the others. So half the time it would be a line that you really liked. Right. No, exactly. And this one, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'd want, I want more points, not less. Right, because you want Kansas City. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not to give it away, but. Well, no, you're going to yeah. bet Kansas City. I, I mean, and I'll get to that in a second. I should tell people, yeah. you were like a Ferrari the last two weeks. <laughs> you were 6-0. and oh, You closed. You won the race. It's like Lewis yeah. Hamilton jumped in your car. Yeah. In Ferrari, is he Mercedes now, or is he Ferrari? I, I'm I think he went to Ferrari from Mercedes. Do I have and that wrong? What, I thought I had. Well, that. most I think most Mercedes owners wish they had a Ferrari. Well, there you go, so and you sense. and you finished eighty three sixty and three. That's plus twenty three. That's you know I, that's Carville territory, and he's making it up. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't get like you know. A twelve blue plate special <laughs> to, to get my uh, right. Get my, but I'll be honest. I've uh, I got a little cocky. Did really well in football this year, not just with you, but maybe with Mr. Fandle. Uh And of course, I've been slowly giving it back to them on college basketball because I think I'm a genius now. And well, of course you, I'm not. you may not be a genius on college basketball. Yeah, you know. Um, although there, I mean, certain things. College basketball is very, very difficult now. Because teams are made essentially a month and a half before yep. the season starts. There's no nobody's staying around at one school for four years with three of his teammates. It does that. You not, don't know no. the, these teams don't get an identity literally until this month. Uh, yeah, now, I mean, just look said. at last night. True. Clemson yeah. went into Carolina and won that game. That never happens. No, it just doesn't happen. It's not bad, um, and and they've been they've been pretty competitive all year, but. The other part of college basketball, though, that is alluring is it's amazing how often home dogs win in conference matchups, which is what makes college basketball so much fun, right? Is that yes, yes. the home team, no yes. matter how bad they are, they have a chance, except Georgetown. Huh? Students, except exactly. Georgetown, not except Georgetown, but they don't bring any fans. Right, no fans. They don't have a home court. I no. Mean, if they would play more, maybe they do play in McDonough now, for all I know. I Re- no very idea. rarely. Very yeah. rarely. Can't I mean, play the Big East games there because contractually. GW, yeah. GW in its smaller Smith Center. Lovely gym. Actually has more of a home court advantage than Georgetown. That's a lovely gym. All right, so let's get to this game. Kansas City. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I saw this this morning on SportsCenter. He's 14-3 and three in playoff games with 37 touchdowns and like four interceptions. <laughs> I mean, his numbers are, they're Montana numbers, basically. They're really spectacular numbers. If there's any lesson we have learned over the course of this year as the playoffs went on, it's if you can get points with Patrick Mahomes, you're crazy not to. And he's gone through 
Buffalo, and he's gone through Baltimore. This is not a road game technically because San Francisco isn't home, but it's hard not to bet. It's honestly hard not to bet on Patrick Mahomes, right? That's your thinking. I, I you know, it's interesting, and I've I've been trying to figure out. I've been listening to a lot of these experts explaining why is San Francisco favorite because all the zeitgeist right is Kansas City. Uh, one, two, you do have sort of this Mahomes factor that feels like it's like Brady again where you have to just, he's worth a few extra points. And then, and this is what makes me really surprised that San Francisco's two and a half is held, is that you're going to have all the Taylor Swift money come in. Yeah. Right? You know, all the first-time batters, you know, uh, it, 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 you know how many dads are going to be making bets for their, for their fanatic daughters, right? Hey, Dad, can you put 25 bucks down, you know, or whatever? So whether it's on Kelsey or the Chiefs or whatever – so it, it's all going to be Chiefs money, so you would think that would move the line more, and it still hasn't moved the line. And the data analytics, I mean, San Francisco just looks so good on the numbers, right? When you look at them, and they were just performed so much better than Kansas City on the numbers. But this is where Wilbon and his analytics rants, because um, the analytics say San Francisco, and the eye test and your gut and all of your history of watching players like Patrick Mahomes say, the Chiefs, but it has been it's been interesting to watch that that they will not they have not moved that San Francisco number. So clearly, there's a bunch of really big money betters and smart betters that are betting San Francisco. Wouldn't you wouldn't you expect wouldn't you expect them to ask Taylor Swift to sing with Usher one song at halftime? Wouldn't you expect that? I, you know, if you're the NFL, like how much is you know you're sort of like I can't believe. We have her here. Is it too much to ask her to come to every game? And then they're like, is it too much to ask her to also, hey, while you're here, can you perform in the halftime show? Just sing a little I mean, bit. That is a, look, hey, Tony, can you come to my house? And while you're here, do you mind setting up a podcast? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, how do you feel about that? Like, if they came to you, hey, it's halftime. Can you do a podcast for with Usher? I, I mean, I, I, I sort of wonder. I mean, I read, I talked about this a couple of times on the show last week. I read a story in the New York Times that the MAGA crowd, um, actually believes it's i it's hard for me to say without laughing actually believes that taylor swift is a paid secret agent of the government how do we get that that people believe it who who says that and then who signs up and says yeah yeah definitely well if you want to know why this got took hold it's because of travis kelsey's relationship with pfizer this is all and the the, vaccines this is correct this is the maga anti-vax you know there's a venn diagram a little bit and then the group the 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 maga that are also anti-vax that's this these are the conspiracy folks do you think aaron Rodgers is is leading this one you think that's possible i i he's it's possible this is he's in that venn diagram (laughs) you know wouldn't it be great if travis kelsey hey travis kelsey you just won the super bowl what are you going to do next he goes I'm going to go get my booster. <laughs> just like the internet would explode. Just explode. So now all the MAGA people have to root for San Francisco, which is just not a city of their dreams. It's just well, not. Actually, a conservative writer friend of mine wrote this. He goes, I'm really confused. He goes, we all hated San Francisco because of Kaepernick. So what am I supposed to do? Yeah. That's really sort of writing a mock like. I'm not sure who I'm supposed to cancel this week in the right wing. It's very world. weird. Are there any uh, particular bets, those sort of weird bets, like 
how many times they cut away to Taylor Swift and how long the anthem takes and who gains 47 yards I, plus five. Yeah, I'll be honest, I am been suckered into the anthem stuff because no. Reba McIntyre's the, the over-under is like 40 seconds less than it was last year. You're like, I, I, can you can you can you have a 40 second difference in how you sing the national anthem? So you think so? You're going to go over on that then? Well, you know me though. I'm an under guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, from toilet know, paper. I, exactly. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm always an under. You know, I'm always leaning under. Mm. But but I love. I just now I'm really curious how fast Reba Reba McIntyre sings. Like apparently just... it's a it's a 30 second. You know. Dis, dis, disparity between whoever sang it last year. It's very weird. It's all very weird. Nobody in your house has got you uh, hooked into the on-field proposal? No, <laughs> no. I don't know if she wants that. It's very interesting. I don't know how she... Now, my, my household's very excited about the new album, but by the way, I'm surprised Taylor didn't announce the new album at the Super Bowl rather than at the, uh, at the, at the Grammys. Grammys. Yeah. I mean, you know, this this has to end badly, right? I mean, it has to down the road. So at some point, it's not going to be great. Boy meets girl. Girl meets boy. They live happily ever after. It's not going to happen, really? Uh, maybe for a while. I don't know. I, I don't know that the long-term money, you know, is on something that works out successfully for everybody I, down the road. You know, did you see there was a great piece yesterday in the Post before you know, writing about DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what social media would have done to those two? I, it's, we all should be happy that we lived before this, at there least was a, a little time. bit. Yeah, yeah, at least a little bit. All right, good luck with the bet. Thank you. All right, my friend. Thanks, guys. Chuck Todd, boys and girls. And if we just gave you Chuck Todd, that would be more than enough. But we give you a monkey. See the monkey screech, screech, scratching, watching his iPad, smoking and laughing, hanging out with Bud Grant, tap, tap, tapping on his purple attache. Nigel's going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. Reginald's got the fikes by it too. Sometimes he throws his poo, poo. He's had too much Johnny Walker Blue. That's the Virginia Coalition. That's simply fabulous. It gives me a smile for the rest it's of the day. It's just really fabulous. It's brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Reginald is walking into this oh, yeah. bad. Yeah. He's 0-6 in the last two weeks in the playoffs. He's 26-35-2. He'd have to do a... 10 spot bet to get over 500 and he's not Carvel. he's not going to do it literally throwing What's his poo, he doing? poo poo so it was uh, a very chaotic scene down at the national zoo when i went to go visit reginald as he was uh getting ready to head west for the big game packing up the winnebago had a few uh driving mates with him uh let's see who do you have carly simon was with him carly simon no secrets right robert duvall robert who's duvall. somewhat of a local here in the dc area yeah well, he's at a house in middleburg that's years, right right and ricky henderson not sure what? What, ricky yeah. henderson <laughs> not sure what rick was doing there mm. not sure if he understood why he was there okay. where he was going yeah. um and of course several members of bud grant's extended family family were also in the Winnebago. So um, took some time to go over some of these bets. He did have a couple prop bets. Let me get to those first. Um, the first one, the over-under on how many times Bobby Weir of the Grateful Dead will be shown on TV. The number is one half. He's going to take the over on that. Big fan of, of Bobby Weir. Coin toss, tails, of course, because monkeys have tails. Tail. Uh, color of Gatorade. I think this was in honor of you. Said it's going to be orange. 
And will there be a scorigami? Have you heard of this phrase before? Or this I know word? what an origami is. I don't know what a scorigami. Are you familiar is. with this, Michael? No, I, but I imagine something is folded in on itself. Well, it's when if there's a unique final score that has never been achieved oh. in the history of this, it's like you know, one nothing, like one nothing. If but it's that's one not nothing, going to happen. <laughs> right. So he said yes. He believes that there will be a scorigami, and then for the game itself, and he had San Francisco giving two and a half. Uh, he showed me a, a picture of. Uh, him having dinner, this is a long time ago, with Dashiell Hammett at John's Grill in San Francisco. San Francisco. Do you know the original title of the Maltese Falcon was supposed to be the Maltese Monkey? No, I didn't know that. The editors got in the way of what could have been a great idea. I think the Maltese Falcon works, although that's another one of those words that are pronounced differently. Some falcon? Say falcon. That's right. And they say falconry rather than falconry. falconry. Yeah. Even though, and I use both of those. I will say falconry. But, but I will call it a falcon. Yeah, the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, right. that's what I'll do, but I don't know. I mean, don't listen to me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, we'll get out of here. We'll have email and jingle when we return. This week's picks by Chuck Todd and Reginald the Monkey have been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. And I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes Here comes Tony's mailbag Gonna read some for all of you folks A great appreciation to Tim Wildsmith for that version. like it a lot. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, my friend, and you will be thrilled. It's going to do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say in honor of the 60th anniversary of the Beatles landing at Idlewild Airport and playing two days later at the Ed Sullivan Show, this is one of the songs they did. They did not write this song. This was a standard that preceded their lives. I mean, it was probably written in the 1930s, called Till There Was You. And this is exactly how Paul McCartney sang it in terms of pronunciation. There were bells on a hill, but I never heard them ringing. No, I never heard them at all, Till There Was You. There were birds in the sky, but I never saw them winging. No, I never saw them at all, Till There Was You. And people like me sat there and said, what, what is he saying? What do you mean, soar? S like S O A R or S A W R soar. He never did it again. By the way, that he never was, did it again. No, no. He took a lot of heat for that. I'm sure. Um, that was from was the that a Liverpudlian accent. I don't know. That's from the Music Man from 1957. Okay. Whatever. I mean, it predates yes. them. Predates them. Yes. Yeah. Thanks to our guests today, Booger McFarlane and Chuck Todd. Thanks to our sponsors today. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. From our friend Dylan Reese in Los Angeles, California, who says, my favorite Chuck and Roxy guest is Ari Melbert. That's sort of funny. <laughs> On Monday's episode, it sounded like Wilbon suggested that Caitlin Clark could go from Iowa to the neighboring Midwestern state of Indiana. If Indiana is just across one Iowa border... What might be across another of its borders? Toronto? This would explain a lot. From Bob Lane from Midland, Michigan. Wilbon's geography is a gift that keeps on giving. In his recent segment while discussing Caitlin Clark, he noted that Iowa and Indiana are neighbors. 
Well, they would be neighbors if pesky Illinois did not lie between them. <laughs> the distance from Iowa City to Indianapolis is 366 miles, which is even further than the distance from North Scottsdale to Phoenix. In his defense, Mr. Chicago probably assumes that because both Iowa and Indiana border his beloved Illinois, that connective tissue thereby makes them neighbors to each other. What's next? Wisconsin and Tennessee share the same zip code? From Scott McClellan in Bethesda, Maryland, longtime little, I'm a geology, not an English major. I'm now confused by the discussion about sleeping pants. After all these years, I thought they'd be sleeping pant. I think that's aimed at you. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. No, <laughs> You talked about a pant, right? Yeah, the For sleeping you? pant. Yes. From Matt well Bear done. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well played, sir. You stated that sleeping pants are loungewear and, a pair and part of a sleep routine. This begs some questions. Are slippers called sleeping shoes? No. Hmm. And do you have any amulets that are part of the sleep routine? I do, but I'm not getting into that now. <laughs> Lastly, have you tried wearing sleeping pants on a flight to combine the flying and sleeping routines to achieve maximum comfort? No, you can't go out of the house with them except to pick up the newspaper in the morning. And you just, you... They, they can't go past the curb. Yes. No, no, curb is like the, the invisible fence. You just can't do it. Right, because you get an <laughs> And slippers are different from house shoes. Yeah, I don't have slippers. I don't think I have slippers. Not a slipper guy, are you? No, I put on, if I want to go outside, I put on sneakers or something. Alex in Springfield, Missouri, episode 152. My youngest son is a grad student at St. Louis University, the Billikens, in mathematics. He has spent the past six weeks applying and interviewing for internships this summer. He called this week with the news he'd finally landed just such an opportunity. When I asked him who had granted him the internship, I was greeted by silence for a few seconds before he finally blurted out, Cigna. His next words were, are you going to let me take the internship? <laughs> I acquiesced, comforting myself with the fact that at least the internship wasn't with Subaru or some bicycle-making enterprise. But I felt compelled to share this with you and offer the hope that my son can convince them to give some aid. Thanks for the decades of laugh and companionship. I started listening to the radio show before my grad school son was even born. And as always, please tell Brian Muller to eat it. From Justin Camblin in Knoxville, Tennessee. Michael wondered on the show if you could order it online for in-store pickup. You can. I did just that over the weekend. I was in the market for a mini fridge. I found one online at Lowe's. Since I needed to run an errand to another store near there, I thought I'd just go pick it up. In the store, the price was $50 higher. Significant. The customer, yes, the customer service clerk said they couldn't adjust the price, so they suggested I order it online for in-store pickup. That's what I did. I stood in the middle of Lowe's and ordered the fridge on my phone. I then wheeled said fridge to the front, to the front myself where the desk clerk scanned it as picked up, and I, hand, I headed to my truck. Amazing. So does that mean that if I ordered the sleeping pants online in the store, but that did they, they may might not, not offer in-store pickup? A big store Lowe's like Lowe's does, would, but yeah. in the scenario that he describes, you don't get the the benefit of the parking when you do in-store pickup. You might get the front uh, parking spot. It's so so complicated for me. From Patrick Smith in Annandale, Virginia, does everyone else perk up every time they hear Mr. Tony say from Patrick Sitter, Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Do all the other littles named Patrick think, hey, my email finally made the cut for a split second, only to be disappointed when they realize, no, that's still not me, just Patrick Sitter again. That's funny and mean in its own way. I like it. From Mike Roseberry, with all due respect to Jeff Barger, there's no way that Eeyore was Tessio. It breaks down like this. Don Corleone equals Christopher Robin. Not in every scene, but still in charge. Winnie the Pooh equals Michael. The story revolves around him. Tigger equals Sonny, excitable and unreliable. Piglet equals Fredo, somewhat dim and annoying. No one likes Piglet. 
Rabbit equals Tom, stays in the shadows, but seems pretty clever. Owl, Tessio, Owl is a smart one. So was Tessio, not that it helped. Eeyore was Clemenza, steady and reliable. I'll now spend the rest of my evening wondering what Beatrix Potter character <laughs> reminds me of Hyman Roth. That's from Mike Roseberry in State College, Pennsylvania. From John Agliata near St. Louis, Missouri, I want to report that I've been in first newspapers and then marketing for 30 years, and I've not worn a cup to get to work my work done either. I'm waiting for my hall call. From Ashton Wingate in Queens, New York, is this the new game? How many sneakers in your closet? What did this come from? I can't what, remember. What is the reference to that, sneakers in your closet? I think somebody said, these, these are my shirts, and then somebody said, oh, we're doing that. Well, here's how many sneakers oh, I have okay. in my closet. How many sneakers in your closet? Well, eat it, Rory. I have 98 pairs of sneakers. <laughs> I've got running shoes, basketball sneakers, cross trainers. I'm still on the hunt for the rare and elusive sleeping shoes. Maybe I'll type the Nautica website into the Google machine and use the code. I kid, by the way. Rory, I admire your self-control. Having nearly 100 pairs of sneakers is less of a hobby and more of a hoarding type situation. From John Buchanan, Chuck and Roxy, number 276. Do Oof. they go on every day? <laughs> it appears that way. Is it every day? <laughs> so this is the new game, Tony teasing stories he won't be telling us right now? Okay. <laughs> And from Steve in Fairfax, Virginia, with all this discussion about whether or not one should root for a conference or geographic region, I'm reminded of Uncle Tony pulling for the University of Miami in the NSA basketball tournament because Miami is an I-95 school. I don't know which is worse, rooting for a conference rival or rooting for anything or anyone associated with I-95, arguably the worst interstate in the United States. I admit I might be jaded. I have to take I-95 to visit my in-laws. Your thoughts? (laughs) Um, I love I-95. Don't like to drive on it. Nobody likes to drive on it because it's impossibly hard. It gets harder and harder um, as you near big cities and as you go south, all the way south. Because in Florida, I-95, it's an all-you-can-get situation. People going 100 miles an hour. 95 is recommended in Florida. They're they're going 100 miles an hour on the the shoulder. On the shoulder. So it's it's very dangerous. But as you probably know, uh, one of the things I did was recommend to the America East conference um a logo based wholly on i-95 on that very familiar the red white and shield. blue logo which they've adopted because i think it's the highway of dreams in america i think it was the first highway of dreams now now you could certainly say going west to california on 66 or something like that is the highway of dreams but i think when when most people landed here when most people landed they landed in the east and they went north or south they didn't go west you know, they didn't. It took a long time to go west. took to the railroad to go west. But they went north and south on I-95, which to me is the highway of dreams. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But I still need a bit yes, of milk, do. full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. Yes, you do. <laughs> Looking for something He said it was weak She said it was nothing Space begins to In fact. 
It must be said is the rarest I linger while she's getting in the carriage The woman I'm related to by marriage We bonded legally, there is no crime The mirror screams to her, she is the fairest Don't ask me why I'm sleeping in the garage Ask the woman I'm related to by marriage How did I begin to get so lucky? You ask me how things are, well things are ducky The rookie cubs this year are looking plucky Thank God for that Sometimes I hear the church bells, I just stare Daydream in the direction of the parish Whatever I might say, don't you disparage The woman I'm related to by marriage 